making sure that you do not lose track or lose focus or remove your attention from your, your, your baby, like your platform business. That thing needs to be running. And again, I, I hate using the word autopilot, but it's a good description of, of what it should be. It's this principle called buy back your time. And we have this scale ladder on what are the different things that you need to start doing as a business owner to start buying back your time to be able to get the freedom to do the things that you want to be able to do. Hey, investors, you are listening to the Investing to Win podcast, the show dedicated to empowering investors to achieve financial freedom and live your best life. This show is committed to offering honest conversation between investors, common sense strategies, real-time market updates, and professional guidance to achieving financial freedom. Investing doesn't have to be super hands-on or complicated. We are all about passive investments with real gain, so you have freedom of time and money. Your host is none other than Garrett Wong, who brings decades of experience in buying, renovating, and managing cash flow investment properties. Thanks for being here and get ready to invest to win. Hello, investors. Welcome to the Investing to Win podcast. My name is Garrett Wong, your host. And today I have Tony LeBlanc all the way from the East Coast of Canada this week. Tony, how are you? Doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Excited to get into this. I've seen you. This is actually the first time that we've been speaking in person, obviously on social media and things like that. So I'm excited to uh, dig into uh, what you've been doing lately. But let's back up. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? What's your story and your background? So started off, uh, funny enough, in the property management space. So I grew up in a family or specifically my mother. She was a VP of operations for a large management company here in town. So in addition from working into the office, she was also the resident manager of an 18-unit building, apartment building that we lived in from when I was born till I was 16 years old. So I had the, uh, the luck or the uh, unfortunate luck of being brought up in the world of being a landlord, property management, taking care of an apartment building. So I got to see a lot of the behind the scenes quite early in life, uh, whether if it was helping cleaning hallways for my mom, doing the lawn, seeing her communicate and deal with tenants. That's probably one of the things that uh, I've taken with me entirely throughout my career is her charisma and her ability to be able to work with difficult situations with tenants. So yeah, I grew up around that, grew up around real estate, learned pretty young about real estate investing through the owners of her management company. I always made the distinction. I'm like, mom, I'm like, the guys that own this, this company that you're working for, I'm like, they're really rich. And like, we made the connection because I asked them a lot of questions, right? I'm like, how, did, how do you guys do this? So you own apartment buildings, you rent them out and like you make money from them. So I, I learned that pretty young as a teenager, not knowing exactly that I was ever going to get into that field, but I thought it was quite interesting because I liked the idea of money. Forgot about that for a while, went to college, was very interested in technology. Ended up doing 15 years uh, as a software engineer with IBM. Had an amazing, amazing career. Started investing quite young, 23, bought my first duplex. And then uh, life started to change a little bit. I didn't like the traveling that I was doing with IBM. And it was taking me away from my family a lot. 
And I always had the entrepreneurial bug. I always had a side hustle, whether if it was selling supplements, selling life insurance, I always did something on the side. And uh, one evening I was sitting by a fire with a friend and he's like, why aren't you doing property management? I'm like, that's what you know. And that's what your mom knows. And like, you've been surrounded by your, by it, by entire life. And uh, that day, I think the next day I came up with the name ground floor property management. That was in 2010. And uh, we've kind of never looked back. We've been, we've been running and managing uh, a large management company here in Moncton, New Brunswick out on the East coast. And uh, from that management company, we've we've done a lot of cool things, right? We've 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 taken our business that we've turned into what what I call a platform business, and we've been able to grow, build, and acquire other service brands, and have attached it to our management company to provide more services to the people that we work with. And I've written a book about it, and I also coach and teach other property managers how to do that. So that's that's kind of where I am today. Wow. Okay. So what is the what does the operation look like for the management company? Like how many how many doors? How many people do you have working? Um so we're at around fifteen hundred doors. I'd say just the management arm, I think we're twelve or thirteen people. And then throughout all the organization we have sixty-five staff. So that's our maintenance, cleaning, snow removal, landscaping, and all the other divisions. Okay. And the portfolio itself, 1,500 doors, which is quite impressive, by the way. Yeah. Multifamily and single-family splits, what, what does that look like? I, I would say 85% multifamily, like fourplex and up. And then I would say the rest are single-family duplex. And we've got one office tower, commercial, which we, we love. We'd love to get into more commercial, but it's a little bit more challenging here. Yeah. Well, especially with the environment, the way it's been. Wow. So you're really, really multifaceted. Yeah. Fascinating. Can you maybe elaborate on that? I mean, you said, I know that's the purpose of me bringing you on the podcast here, but what sparked the idea to, like you call it a platform business. Why don't you define that uh, term? So in 2010, when we started the company, I knew I had a vision in terms of what I kind of wanted to do. I knew that I'm just the personality where I don't just do something half-assed. I knew I wanted to building build it to something somewhat significant. So the first crazy idea is, oh, I'm going to build you know like the build it biggest management company in Canada, which you know maybe we've all had similar dreams of doing that until we actually get into business and say, I'll like, never admit no, that. I don't Tony. want that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll never admit that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I started off and like within started the company January first. Within 30 days, I had 100 doors. I panicked, called my mom. I'm like, I need. I need a right side, you know, I, I need somebody to help me build this. She gave me her right-hand man that she hired at a university 19 years prior. My partner, Steven, he's been with me since day one. And we grew the company very fast. We, we got to around a thousand doors in less than three years. And it was, and this was all while I was still working at IBM full-time and traveling the world. And uh, one day we were reviewing our financials. And as the visionary, I'm like, what's next? What do we like? We got, we got a thousand doors. It's fun, but is, is all I'm going to be doing is this door chasing? Is this all we were meant to do? So we started reviewing our financials and I wanted to know where a lot of our money was going. So I realized that we were spending around a quarter million a year in landscaping and snow removal subs. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. These are the two biggest pain points that we have. Why don't we try to do this ourselves? 
I looked at my partner. I'm like, what do you think? He goes, I don't know. I don't know anything about snow removal or landscaping, but I'm open to it. So about a year went by. We found a franchise out of Ontario. We love them. We bought the franchise because we wanted the, the playbook to say, okay, how do I run this business? And uh, three years later, pretty successful. We, we took that landscaping and snow removal company, and it was now three times the size of our management company. So that's when the light bulb moment started to appear to where I'm like, this is interesting. My management company allowed me to incubate an idea or acquire or buy another business platform that I could grow from the help of my management company, i.e. my properties were using that services. But also I could get outside clients, i.e. the general public. And that blew me away. And we were at a point to where we were like 70-30, 70% general public, 30% internal. And I'm like, okay, this is very interesting. And we did it again with maintenance. We grew our maintenance division, opened it up to the public and blew that up. And then that's when the whole doorpreneur concept came to me at Starbucks one day. I'm like, I need to write a book about this because I need to tell all these property managers that they're killing themselves running these companies and wanting them to grow them so big. Yet, I think I've found an easier way to grow. And it's essentially by taking a management company and turning it into a platform, what I call a platform business. It's, it's, it's a, a foundational element or a type of business that you can have different ideas or strategies to vertically integrate, integrate other services, which is, it's, a, it's called forward integration. That's the type of vertical integration. And essentially, it's you eliminate the middleman. What could I do that has a good margin that I use a lot in my management company um, that I can make some good money? And we've, since we figured that out, we've just rinsed and repeat the model. We just keep buying companies and we're, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I'll be devil's advocate here. Why even have a management company? Why not, you know, like if you had started out, because you said 70, 30, right? So 30 is not, I mean, it's significant, but what happened if you had woken up one day and said, I hate management, I'm just going to buy a landscaping company. Do you think you would have been as successful with it? Because initially it was a hundred zero. <laughs> it was all of our properties. It's the incubation phase. And the incubation phase doesn't necessarily always have to be the same. So I grew and, and developed this framework for a very specific reason. I know how hard management is. I know how challenging it is. And I know how much it can wear you out. I wanted to have the choice at some point in my life to say, do I want to continue managing these properties? Do I want to continue with this business? And I still, it's, that's still the same thought process that I have today. I still love it. So the answer is still yes. But I've now positioned myself where I've got five other companies that no longer rely on my management company for business that I could flourish with and it'll keep me going for the rest of my life. So I'm, I'm good. So now I have the choice. I could shut it down if I wanted to. There's no more tie in between, but it's still an amazing resource and platform to continue to grow and acquire and buy other things. And now the incubation phase is completely different. Like you just mentioned, we bought a concrete company two years ago. It's my management company is sometimes a client, but 99% of it is it's third party. It's the general public. 
but it just so happened to be such a great business, great margins, great help to what we were doing. And we had such great synergies because in the winter, those guys are not so busy. So they can come and do snow removal for my snow removal company. And then in the summer, if they're busy, I can take some of my landscapers and throw them their way to help grow them. So, so the synergies were beautiful. And again, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of where a lot of the magic happens, right? When you can create this environment to where you can share your resources between all these companies to make them all better. Okay. So what, what's the long-term vision uh, for, I mean, I'm big into goal setting. I'm sure you are as well. Um, where do you stop? Like, is, is it to service a management company? Is it to just keep having complementary businesses? Yeah, right now, in terms of in terms of the size of our, we live in a small city. Moncton is 180, 200,000 people tops. So at our size, do I think we could eventually hit 2,000? Yeah, but it's kind of a slow ground. I'll probably have to acquire a few people. But we're happy with the management company. Uh, what we're now focused on is acquisitions uh, and partnerships to a couple more inside of Moncton. And then what we're now getting ready to do is to deploy the playbook in other cities. So approaching other property management company owners to say, listen, we've built a pretty amazing playbook, A, to help you scale this management company, but the playbook on how to add a maintenance division, which we know you need, if you want to do snow removal, if you want to do landscaping, if you want to do all these other services, we can help you do all that. So either we partner together um, or it's an educational component to where they work with us on the, the coaching and education component of our business. So okay. our, yeah, we, we've, again, I've been doing the coaching thing now for about three and a half, four years. And I think there's a tremendous amount of management companies out there that are very interested in this concept, but have no idea how to deploy it or how to do it. So well, we've, we, we've all seen the failures, right? I mean, how many I can name, you know, three or four in my city that, and I, I tried it too. I mean, we've been in business for about 25 years and I see the evolution where, oh, we're, we're going to open up a maintenance division, number one, because we can't get enough subs in a timely manner. And number two, because we think we're going to be able to make a little bit of money. And I lost my shirt doing that, right? Ne never mind, like it was the warranty work, people not showing up, idle time. There was all these things, of course, that was many years ago before tech and things like that. You know, further to that, I've attended a lot of NARPM conferences in the States. And as you know, or probably aware, the average, I think NARPM did that study, a profitability study a couple of years ago. And I think the average property management company- Six. Six, yeah, exactly. Six percent. Yeah. So it's like, why would you do that? Right. Even in a million dollar business, 6%. I mean, you can just have a full-time job instead of having to manage 15, 20 people. Right. Yeah. No, I've, I've, I've said it over and over. And I, we talk a lot about that, that study that was done in that specific stat of if my management company only did 6% margin, I would jump off a bridge. I would have shut it down a long, long time ago. We've, since day one, we're comfortably, I've always been between 15 and 25%. So we're right where we need to be in terms of a margin. And the maintenance world is, in my opinion, the biggest untapped component of the management solution. To me, management is all about, there's customer service, there's accounting, and there's maintenance. 
if you get either one of those wrong, you, you can be out of business pretty quick. And, you know, full transparency, my maintenance company is four times the size of my management company in terms of revenue. And profitability is a lot. I'm, I'm not surprised. I mean, I've looked at complementary businesses and I'm just like, as I do the numbers and I'm contemplating getting into it, I'm just like, if that takes off, it's going to dwarf what I have here. And then do I have to make that decision? But like to your point, platform business, I, I never really considered it. And in, in my opinion, I'm incredibly biased. I think property management as an industry is one of the best platforms that exist out there. There's a lot of others. You can, you can literally take any small business. You can take a plumbing service company and you can, I can show you a complete plan how to vertically integrate 10 new services within that, within that business. Anything can be taken. It just so happens that property management and a lot, a few other different real estate functions gives you a leg up because at the end of the day, in our worlds, we control these assets for our owners, right? So we have a lot of say in where and what gets done. So if you do things right, transparently, with honesty, and with the right mode behind it, then it can be incredibly su successful. But if you go into it to where you're being greedy and you just want to rip everybody off and make all the money in yourself, then you will fail miserably, in my opinion. So it all has to be done above board. Everybody needs to be in the know in terms of what you own and what you don't. Pricing needs to be completely transparent in terms of who you're working with. That's why we went to from a you know completely time and materials world to now where everything is quoted, everything that we do, so that there's full transparency with all of our owners. And when it works, it works. Well, I, th that's actually one of the questions I was going to ask later on. And you know, so I and I've. We've, we've all heard this, right? As management company owners, oh, hey, can you give me the original invoice for your sub or whatever it is, right? And now if you, if you are the contractor, now the invoice is, this is, this is what it is. What do you want me to tell you? How much I'm paying my people? What is it? So I, I guess that, that buzzword, right? Uh, that alarming word, conflict of interest. Yes. Um, how do you navigate that? I mean, do you, did they have a choice? Do you still give three quotes? Um, so the way that we do it, and it's, it's an amazing question and it's in a very, it's a very important question when you're, when you've decided to, to utilize and, and leverage this framework. So when it comes to our management company, we do all the service work, meaning all the service calls. Those are we do that. I am not going to rely on a third-party sub to do service work to, to try to call somebody at two in the morning. We have our infrastructure, we have our system, we're good. Anything over $500 is a quote and it goes to the owner. We've established some very good working relationships with all of our owners. So most of the time we go in and do a quote, we just go ahead and do the work. It's faster. They know the service. We're very fair on the pricing. And then there's sometimes there's there's, there's timing things as, as well. You know, if you're trying to get a unit prepped quickly to get in another tenant, then I don't have time to go get three quotes. If I've got the next 12 hours to get this unit turned over, it's like, here's what it is. We've got the guys. Can we go and do this? And again, there's a, there's a big trust factor in there, right? So you gotta, you gotta make sure. However, 
we do not hold any of our owners to say, you have to use us in terms of the renovations or any stuff like that. We've got a number of projects going on right now where they're third-party contractors. And our job as a property manager is still to oversee them, but we're just not doing the maintenance work. And we're totally fine with that. That's cool. If they have a good contact and they can get it for 25 bucks an hour cash, power to them. I'm not going to get in that way. It's just for most people that we work with, they don't live here. They're from out of province. They don't have the connections. They don't have the network. And that's why they hired us, right? So that they can have this, you know, all in one solution that just take care of this stuff. So when you, um, let's define this for the, for the listeners, because I mean, this is a real estate podcast, not necessarily a property management podcast. When you're talking about service work, we're referring to tenant concerns that have to be resolved in a timely manner, like broken tap, plug toilet, those types of things. Yes. Yep. Or anything small, like uh, my screens, screens broke, my fridge is not working, you know, appliance repair calls, um, small stuff. Yeah. But I mean, to that point, because a tenant is creating this maintenance ticket, it is in the owner's best interest to get it done in a timely manner. I know many, many, many years ago, boy, it must be 12 or 13 in our evolution. We used to ask every single owner for permission. We didn't even have a minimum or like anything. And you can imagine your tenant, okay, my air conditioning's broken. It's 45 degrees. We can't even call a tech to go out because it's a service call. Now we're waiting for two, three days for the owner to call back. Sometimes they're out of the country. You're probably, don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, there's that tenant component here too, or you're going to lose the tenant. Now your owner's going to suffer. 100%. Own, uh, keeping great tenants and keeping them happy, maintenance is number one. If you don't answer their service calls or get the work done in a timely manner, uh, they're, they're going to get pissed. Either they're going to move or they're going to have bad reviews or you know whatever the case may be. So absolutely, maintenance, in, in our opinion, as an investor, is incredibly, incredibly important. I read a stat out there a couple of years ago that 65% of all tenants the reason, the reason that they gave for not renewing, 65% of them said it was because of maintenance or lack um, thereof. Yep. Not surprised whatsoever. I look at the, the, the different landlords and the different types of landlords that are in most of our cities, right? We've got, we've got the big REITs. They usually do a pretty good job, right? They've got the people, staff, all that good stuff. Then you have the professional property managers, I would say like us. And then you have, you know, smaller PMs that are under 100 units and it's kind of like a side gig for somebody. And then you've got DIY. And it's in the lower branch that's a, a big part of the pie. It's it's kind of like the Wild Wild West sometimes. It's like, you know, does it get done? How does it get done? Is it just lipstick? Did you actually fix the problem? Like, who knows? So uh, speak to me about efficiency and profitability of the actual, like the primary management business, these additional businesses, have you felt they've impacted that efficiency and profitability? A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. The, so the management company uh, on its own is, you know, it, it does its thing. Um, it does very well. Um, what, as we continue to grow and as you continue to grow your, your, your portfolio of companies, um, it brings more uh, vision or more conversations around real estate investing, which is fun, 
right? So sure. my, okay. I'm, I'm all about, I started my management company because A, I loved the industry and I, I saw some, I saw the way that my mom communicated with tenants and I saw how she took care of her owners. And that stuck with me my entire life. And I'm like, I really want to provide a different experience for my investors. And of course, for my tenants, but investors first. I shared something the other day where we literally last Friday, we sold our last property. I've been working with this guy from Calgary for the last five years. He bought his first eightplex five years ago, over two and a half years, bought 39 doors. And last Friday we sold. So we bought them all and we sold them all. And uh, I, I calculated and based on the, 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 the sale price of when he bought them to when we exited, it was about 1.3, 1.4 million that he made on 39 doors. And I'm like, that's why I do what I do, right? This, this entire environment that I've built, because we've bought stuff, I'm an agent. So I've helped them find the deals, most of them off market through my other owners. We've done a lot of renovations. We've done a lot of repositioning, rent increases, all the fun stuff that goes into that. And then once the time was right, he had my expertise to be able to tell him, I'm like, dude, it's time to sell. You want to cash out on these things? Let's do it. And we got top dollar for everything. And I have one happy camper. <laughs> Did you know that there is a big difference between investing in real estate and becoming a real estate investor? People become real estate investors all the time. They get into a flip or conversion project or even dealing with long-term tenants. And they come back to us to tell us the same thing. It's like having another full-time job. I don't know about you, but that's not what we call investing. Investing in real estate is about having your money work for you in a way that is passive, consistent, most importantly, hands-off. So which one are you? Do you want to be a real estate investor or do you want to invest in real estate? For those that are open to investing in real estate and having your money work for you, listen up. Garrett Wong has spent decades helping thousands of property owners navigate the ins and outs of property investing and management through his award-winning company, Upper Edge Property Management. Their new division, Upper Edge Capital, is currently involved in multiple projects, from single-family flips to multifamily development. Are you looking for a healthy return on your invested capital, or perhaps becoming a joint venture partner? If so, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to book a time to speak with Garrett and his team to see if there is a fit. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. Now back to the show. Well, I, you actually took the question right out of my mouth because I'm not, I used to be an agent. I gave it up uh, for various reasons. And that in itself is another integrated business, right? Because I think you had said, roll back the tape 10 minutes ago, property management is one of the best epicenters of these businesses because like literally cleaning, plumbing, like name anything that centers around a house, but let's move over to the legal side, right? Uh, lawyer, accountant, mortgage broker, mortgage financing, broker. banks. Yeah. I mean... Insurance. I yeah I don't know about your company but I'm probably getting ten to fifteen cold calls every single week from I mean just name the trade because you know we've got three hundred fifty clients here seven hundred doors you're twice the size people just want to do business with you absolutely absolutely you grow that that network just grows and grows over time right 
So the you've used the word vertically integrate. Um, I think I have a foggy idea of it, but why don't you really like crystal define that for us? Yep. So vertical integration has typically been a strategy, a business strategy that's been reserved for the massively rich and big companies, right? So mostly, I think this, to be honest, one of the pioneers of this is uh, Henry Ford in terms of how he started building out his plants. And eventually, he just started bringing more stuff internal, right? And instead of having a hundred contractors or subcontractors doing various things, the more and more he would do, like we're seeing Apple, that's probably the best example recently of bringing in their chips. They're like, bye-bye, Intel, we can do this better. So they vertically integrated that thing that somebody else was doing because they thought they could do it better, cheaper, and provide better value for their for their marketplace and provide a better product to the end user. So the the vertical integration has multiple forms of it. They have backward integration and they have forward integration. Forward integration is the type that we do, which is you eliminate the middleman. You get closer to your end customer, right? So if I'm the PM and I want to do a big renovation project, then in the typical world, I'd hire a contractor. That contractor is going to be possibly dealing with the owner and they're kind of doing that. And I'm just kind of like watching over things by eliminating the contractor and me doing the contracting work, it now puts me once again, even that much closer to the client, but in different roles. And if you build it right, and that it's beneficial to everybody, then everybody wins. The client gets a faster job done. He gets it at a better price with people that he trusts. So again, vertical integration is about sticking in your lane. You hear a lot of people talk about, what's that? What's the term? you know, like the squirrel effect and they see a good idea, they kind of run after it, right? Um, I feel that I'm incredibly disciplined in terms of I don't do anything that's outside of the box of real estate. That's what I do. Everything to do has got to do with property management, real estate, and it's associated to all that. So when you vertically integrate into a niche that you know very well, um, again, you're just continuously getting closer to the client, building more trust, better relationships, and more opportunity for you to grow it. Okay. Well, you twig me there because having, you know, some people like being an entrepreneur is tough. It's a grind. You're busy. How in the world and when do you decide, okay, now I'm going to focus my efforts on acquiring, you know, onboarding this brand new company. There's, there's so many things to do. Speak to me about how you, how do you do that balancing act? Is it a risk? Are you spreading yourself too thin? Yep. I, I would say there's times, yes, to both, to both of those questions. So the way that I've developed my coaching program and when I work with other PMs, there's three very specific phases that they need to go through. It's called build, optimize, and then expand. So build is really about building a platform business that is running well from a, an operations perspective. And from a fiscal perspective, meaning that you're not breaking even, like you're making money, the thing's going well. You could be running full tilt, but you're running overall a great business. And we have different metrics that we look at. What does that mean for a property management company? Then we get to phase number two, to where you start looking at 
optimizing. So this is the transition from being the sole proprietor of one business, and then you're kind of transitioning into a multi-business owner operator. So optimize is all about first optimizing you as the owner of the business. What does your time look like? Where, what are you doing? What are you responsible for? How involved are you in the day-to-day? And then we look at processes of the business, optimizing that, automating that. And then the last part is optimizing your team to make sure that you have an operator for the business that runs the day-to-day so that it gives you the time and energy to go out and do something else. It's not saying, you know, see you later, property management company, have fun. I'm, I'm over here having the time in my life trying to start this new business. You're always teetering on both, but you need to be able to systemize the business to a point to where it does not rely on you on a day-to-day basis. You have to get there or else you will never be able to do this. That's why I'm such a big fan, uh, fan of the pumping plan by Mike Michalowicz. It's mm-hmm. basically the premise of the book, right? Yep. It's, it's, it's build a business so you can you know, take two months off a year, kind of the concept, right? My philosophy is you have, you, you got to be able to pull that off or else you'll never be able to do this. And then it's basically a rinse and repeat. Once you've got an operator running the business from a day to day, you're now acting like as a, you can still be CEO, still have direct reports and still kind of do your thing there, but you're more so like on a board of directors and you're, you're helping to, you know, oversee the company but a lot of your attention for a short while is going to be going on the startup of this new thing, right? So when we, when we bought our concrete business for the first year, I was like, you know, I had a lot of energy into that. But luckily, I knew that everything else was, I, I hate the word autopilot, but everything else was running, you know, and I could, I could balance it. Okay. After two years, that company is now stabilized. I am now ready to look at what the next move is. And the way that we're going to our plan and the way that we're doing to ensure that we don't get sucked in too much into the 10 different companies at once is all of our head operators of each of our business units are also equity partners. So we're working and building up our key team members to not only be managers and, and you know, hold uh, C-level positions, but they're actually given equity in the companies. Because eventually we're building all of this to sell, hopefully to them or to some other, you know, PE company once we're big enough. Okay. So a little bit of skin in the game, uh, kind of having that entrepreneurial mindset when you're running that division or that company. And, and people, coming, people come, coming to work with us, they're blown away when I have these conversations with them. And I'm like, you could come in as a landscaper or a secretary or this or that. Like, we've got an unlimited road here of where you could go in these companies. And there's many companies to choose from as well. And they're like, wow, this is unique, right? This is very cool. So are you having these companies as separate entities? Are they integrated, like truly integrated into the management company? No, they're all separate. Separate names, separate entities. Obviously, accounting-wise, you'd want to do that, but... Yeah, so we have three... So my three core businesses, uh, the management company is completely on its own. Then we have one that's called Core Property Services, which is a multi-division company. So it's snow removal, landscaping, cleaning, 
landscape construction, appliance repair. So that's the one that has multiple divisions. And then we have a concrete business and then we have my coaching platform, but we've taken one of them and that's, it has multiple divisions inside of it. Okay. Okay. Would you um, recommend, like you've said, you're, you're acquiring these businesses. Do you ever consider or have you just started one from scratch instead of buying a business? Yeah. Yeah. We all are maintenance, cleaning. Those were all incubated from just hiring that first employee. Um, but I've since learned that acquiring is so much easier, <laughs> so much faster. It's like you're already, if you're doing it right. So the two companies that we bought, uh, the previous owners came with it, right? They came to my team to help us grow and build and, and, and manage the day-to-day operations. So and in a sense, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of shortcuts. Like I want to, I'm, I'm okay to pay a little bit of money to learn faster. So I, I really like the acquisition. It's got an established name. It's already got clients. It's got infrastructure. I love that. But the summer, we just launched our new subscription plan, which is the first, I believe, in Canada. Um, that's completely new. We're, we're running that, you know, from the inside and we're building the infrastructure all on our own. So subscription of, of what, sorry? So we've created a maintenance subscription plan for residential and commercial clients. So a homeowner, for example, 75-year-old lady that doesn't know a whole lot of people, she could hire us for $99 a month and she gets two hours of maintenance work per month to do anything she wants. Um, can be my landscapers, it can be my plumber, it can be my painting guys, it can be my uh, whatever, appliance repair. You, can, you have access to all of our trades inside of our company. If you don't use it this month, you can bank it. So you can say, maybe, you know, I want to bank three months and then that'll pay for the snow removal for the winter. Okay, perfect. But it then also gives them one phone call to get access to anything they want from a trades perspective, whether we do it internally or we do it externally and, and bring people in. So we've launched that to residential commercial and it's, it's a game changer. I would say so. I've never heard of anything quite unique like that. And I, I mean, I was just... Was at a, I was at a pickup hockey game last night, right? So, you know, a friend of mine's like, hey, how's it going, et cetera, et cetera. And I was telling him about my new project. And he's like, how in the world do you find reliable contractors? Or, and then the other guy said, well, if I, when I'm ready to, you know, fill in the blank on this repair, I'm going to give you a call. Maybe you can share some of those. I, I mean, there's just an inherent, I don't want to call it a distrust, but people just don't know who to trust. It's, it's challenging. It's in every community. It's... COVID has really put a spotlight on trades and given them plumbers and electricians are the new doctors and lawyers, right? <laughs> their, their paychecks have skyrocketed and the demand and the respect that they now garner in terms of how important they are has totally transformed. I interviewed a guy yesterday. He's 60 years old and he's like, COVID was the best thing that's ever happened for our business. Like trades. He goes, it it's, it's, it's nuts. Um, so you're completely right where it's very challenging for normal, you know, John, John Doe down the street to find out of the 10 contractors that they Google and they find like, how do they know who's good and who's not and all that stuff. Um, all we're doing is we're leveraging the infrastructure that I spent 15 years building. I've already got the techs. I've got the you know, Red Seal plumbers, I've got the landscapers, I've got the uh, appliance repair techs, I've got the licensed electricians, 
I've got that all. I've got the 24 hour service because we need it for like the infrastructure is already there. What we're now doing, which is part of my model, is we're now opening it up to the public. And that's when it can completely change your business. Your background, though, is software engineering. How much of that, like truly, if you're being honest, has has a, a hand in you're talking about systems like the average person when they say systems are just like, OK, I've got a notebook and a pen. Right. I have Excel. So how, you know, how has that impacted things? Huge. So what I did with IBM was um, I basically did. Um, so it was a very specific type of software um, that we built. And I was a consultant for that software and I did health checks. So I basically travel the world. I've, I've done health checks for Apple, Samsung, Disney, Airbus, like some of the biggest companies in the world. And I would go in and I would analyze how our software was working. And then I would make recommendations to make it more efficient, make it better, you know, all that fun stuff. And being exposed to the corporate world, um, getting in different boardrooms, uh, working with more PhDs that I could have ever imagined in that world. Technology was obviously hugely important for me coming in. And I knew when I started the company that it was going to be one of my secret weapons. I understand that world very well. And after four or five years of focusing 100% on sales and then realizing, oh man, our, our operations are a little bit wonky. I, I got to fix this. That's when I basically created my own infrastructure and app. You know, we're, I don't know if you know this, but we're a big user of monday.com. We've, we've built a massive application and infrastructure with Monday, with Zapier, with Make, and all these other tools that allows me to run a 1500, a 1500 unit management company with 10 to 12 people, right? It's because we run 30, 40, 50,000 automations a month. Everything we do is has got a system and it's got a place and it's got an outcome. So yeah, tech is still a very, very big love of mine. We're we're deep into it every day, which makes me happy. And uh it's fun now because we're starting to get more guys and girls on the team that are tech savvy as well. So I feel bad for PMs or any small business owner out there that's not technically competent because it's it's such an edge that they're missing out. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a scientist by trade. Um, and I, I mean, I'm very good at computers and I, I did a lot of the tech. But um, when I um, promoted my, my, one of my, uh, I don't want to call it my best employees because that's not fair to my other employees. But one of the people who I thought could run the company, I, I mean, he has a Bachelor of Science, you know, compute comp sci. He's constantly learning. And now instead of all of the little tech pieces that I've put in place, he's now trying to integrate them, get a really good tech stack going. Uh, I mean, he's using words like Monday and Zapier and things like that. So he's, I think PMs need that. And um, I mean, that's why those are the 6% profit margins when you're doing everything manually. I did some consulting last year uh, for a friend of mine and everything was manual. I mean, they were still hand delivering leases to the caretaker so the caretaker could slide them underneath the door. I mean, wow. Well, right? there's, there's, there's crazy things that I still hear, whether people are still accepting you know, cash or whether if they're still handwriting leases to you know, no real onboarding system and checklists and 
it just doesn't make sense these days. It just doesn't. And and property management is is not the only, you know, only business that has that that issue. It's it's to be honest, it's most most small businesses. And if we want to zero in more precisely in the home services space, there is a tremendous lack of understanding of technologies in most, if not all, these companies. Right? There are usually their trades that say, oh, I'm done working for the man. I can do this on my own and make more money. And then they're like accidental business owners and they get to 350. If they can crack half a million, that's pretty good, but it's pretty rare that they get over that. Um, and to hit the million is like, oof, you know, you're, you're on a different level compared to most. Most small businesses are probably under between two and 350. Um, and the technology is just embarrassingly non-existent. And now we've got AI coming in into, into the space. I mean, infinite, infinite possibilities. Um, I wanted to back up just a little bit because you were talking about how you would want a PM company to make sure that everything's running properly before they make that leap. How would you, how would you coach somebody who's not a PM company? Uh, I mean, they're just a business owner. Same advice? Absolutely. You need to before. Um, I actually I wrote a post today about this idea on um, making sure that you do not lose track or lose focus or remove your attention from your 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 baby, like your platform business. That thing needs to be running. And again, I, I hate using the word autopilot, but it's a good description of of what it should be. The company needs to be a profitable. It needs to have somewhat of an infrastructure put in place that it's running, um, and it needs to as much as you can run without you, from a day-to-day perspective, i.e., operations. If you're still involved with sales to a certain degree, that's fine. But you shouldn't be. Let, let's take a, a plumbing company for example. You cannot be the guy on the tools going and fixing a toilet. If if you're still there and you want to start something else, like you're you're crazy. Like it doesn't make any sense. You should have a team of five guys that are doing that, a foreman and an office manager in place. Then you can start thinking, okay, I can sit back. My salary might not be where it needs to be because I'm reinvesting into the company to buy me time. Right? It's this, it's this principle calling uh, I don't know if it's called buy back your time. And we have this scale ladder on what are the different things that you need to start doing as a business owner to start buying back your time to be able to get the freedom to do the things that you want to be able to do, right? This year for me was the first time I've, I now have an EA, like, you know, halo over my head, like, <laughs> aha, it's like, wow, this is like an amazing thing, right? It's a game changer. And I was reluctant for years, same excuses. Oh, what am I going to get him or her to do? Can I afford it? Does that mean, does it? I don't know. Anyways, I, I was like, screw it. I need them. And I hired her. And it's been absolutely amazing. And now I can just start knocking off more things so I can start buying back my time to be able to focus on acquisitions and direction of the company. Mm-hmm. I think that's the same. Property management is just an example of all of this. Yeah, I would agree. I have seen a lot of entrepreneurs all of a sudden they're opening up a cleaning company and they're calling me, Hey, I just opened a cleaning company uh, because my other business wasn't doing so well. Uh, can you give me some business? And I'm thinking, well, 
I mean, there's two messages there, obviously. But I mean, if they hadn't said the first thing about their business not doing well, to your point, how are they going to run both well? Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. They're just not ready. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be in a good position. You need really, really good people. You need great systems and it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's a tremendous amount of work. It's funny because when I went into, when I started my academy, I thought I had the idea of, okay, I've got this, you know, this model, build, optimize, expand. I'm going to be able to take people through this, like, you know, in a year and they're going to be able to start looking at outside businesses. And I was like, boy, was I wrong. Um, I, I was stunned on how much was lacking to just get past the first phase of build. Do they have the right infrastructure? Do you have, you know, do you have a sales process in place? Do you have an onboarding process? What does your leasing look like? What is your accounting? Are your books in order? Are you two or three years behind? Um, what does your tech stack? What does your, what does your organizational chart look like? All these questions, your branding, your messaging, your website, like, is like, that's, those are fundamentals. You can't, you got to get that stuff done first before you start getting to the sexy fun stuff. People have a hard time with that. So it was a, it was quite an awakening for me to realize that, oh, okay, we got to put a lot more work into these initial phases. Um, because if I start introducing the ideas and the excitement around, we'll go out and start a maintenance company or do this or do that before they're ready, then it's, it's not doing anybody any good. I'm just, I'm, I'm robbing their focus on what they should be doing into something else. So it's, it's essentially when I shut down my academy in March to be, to be able to refocus and reestablish the right points in terms of where people need to be and kind of how I deliver stuff. So it's been interesting. Yeah, because you were speaking about coaching. Well, typically coaching, I mean, we all know, and there's good coaches and bad ones out there, but I mean, to, to me, it's not coaching when you're coming in and you're fixing somebody's entire property management business. I mean, that's more like consulting, like my goodness. It's consulting. It's a therapist. It's uh, oh my god, Garrett! I've I've been I've been them all. <laughs> Social it's, worker, it's psychologist. It, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, you know these uh, these podcasts are normally about forty five fifty minutes, and we're right on that edge. Uh, it's flown by. I feel like we've just been having coffee. Um, I, I was out in Moncton a couple of years ago, but uh, when I do get out again, we'll have to to meet in person oh and go god. for coffee because this has been great. Absolutely. I'd love that. I'm not, I'm not often, you're in Edmonton, right? I'm in Winnipeg, actually. Oh, you're in Winnipeg. Okay. Yeah, right That's in the really center. Tough. For some reason, I thought you were in Edmonton. I've never been to Winnipeg, so. A lot I'm of people sure could say that that's listening yeah, to this podcast. I, <laughs> I don't know if it's on my to-do list, but if it is. Well, you guys get the snow, we get the cold. So yes. uh, I think it's, it's yeah. a fair trade-off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, before I let you go, um, I always ask every guest... A question and I'd like to hear what you have to say. So this is the Investing to Win podcast. How do you define success and what does winning look like for you? For me, it's all about a, a concept of continuous expansion. I, I work on myself every single day to get better than I was the day before. I have certain things that I treat as scoring mechanisms to see if I'm making progress. Um, it's not about a dollar amount. It's not about a staff count. It's about, 
am I getting better? Is my business getting better? So it's always, always pushing and striving to have a better version of Tony. And that's, that's what I seek to, to do. Right. And, and again, I, I use a bunch of things that, that I look at to, to see if, if my life is getting better, if my, my family, uh, lifestyle is getting better. Um, yes, there's an economic component to it, but ever since day one, when I started ground floor, the management company, I saw how owners and tenants felt around my mother. It was real. It was special. She was very um, motherly and she just, she just took care of people. And then I saw the outside world bash and thrash our industry to pieces and how abused we are as property managers. And I, I just said from a pretty early age that I, part of my life will be committed to changing that and helping the industry as a, as a whole maybe looked at differently, or at least by helping property managers build better companies so that they can have, so they can treat people better, right? And, and have a better lifestyle for them. So it's, it's just always pushing myself. And some days it's a blessing. Some days it's curse. I wish I could shut it off some days, but it's just, it's how I'm wired. So I'm always looking to become better. Beautiful. Wow. No, well, it's been great, Tony. I really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, we will definitely uh, touch base in the future. Amazing. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Investing to Win podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of another investor, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Investing to Win is not only about helping you to win more. But WIN actually stands for Wise Investors Network. It's where we help our investors build a hands-off portfolio and have passive investments work for them. To see how you can potentially partner with us, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to learn more. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time.